Please enjoy this special holiday encore performance and stay tuned for all new episodes in 2020. Hey, this is Jim Marty here. And Larry Michigan. Hey, Larry, how, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, Jim. How are you, actually? You, uh, uh, last time we talked, you were getting ready to walk your way into a Phil Lesh concert uh, over at oh, the great show. venue, Red Rock. Was it? Yeah, I, what a great you, show. You told me it was great. I love yeah. that guy. I can go see him all day long. You all know, um, long. I've never been disappointed with a, a Phil Lesh show. And at 79 years old, he just played great. He just filled Red Rocks with his bass guitar. The set list was great, a great Jack Straw. And uh, they did a, a Comes the Time, which uh, I hadn't really seen perform live in a very long time. In fact, I turned to my son and his girlfriend who were next to me. I said, the last time I saw this song played live, Jerry Garcia was singing and he was standing right over there. Right, that's right. Yep, yep, yep. I, I saw Jerry do it a couple of times, too. Uh, in yep. fact, I was at uh, the Greek Theater in 85 when they broke it out, and uh, it just, you know, brought the house down. It's a, it's a great tune, and um, listen, well, who better to cover it than Phil Lesh, right? Yeah, what a great, a great guy. He came out and played with the warm-up band. He did two 90-minute sets in a Terrapin Station Encore at 79 years old. And uh, that's that's really what's amazing. Think about this, right? I mean, you know, my dad is only a few years older than that, and I couldn't imagine my dad playing rock and roll at all, let alone for you know four hours at a time. Yeah, I was joking to the people next to me. One of the younger musicians from the String Dusters, I believe, was who he played, who sat yeah. in and filled in the rest of the band. Went up to sure. to Phil, and they were kind of talking about what song. They were going to play next, and I kind of ad-libbed to my group. I said, what are we going to play next, Mr. Mister Lesh? And we're going to play whatever the <laughs> fuck I want to play at 79 years old. <laughs> That's right. So That's anyway, exactly right. we should talk about some cannabis stuff and what's been happening in the last week. We've had major developments. We had the um, license applications came out in Missouri. Um, yep. And we'll talk about that maybe next week once I have my head around it a little more. And then um, okay. we had some sure. big developments in Illinois this week that maybe Larry can fill us in on. Well, Jim, you know, I have to tell you, it's like welcome to the big leagues here in Illinois. And we couldn't be more excited after lots of talk and lots of speculation um, and rumors of every kind you can imagine. Last Friday, we learned that uh, the Illinois Senate had, or excuse me, the Illinois House had approved the uh the, the adult use cannabis bill that was uh, pushed and proposed by new governor uh, Jay Pritzker. Um, and I was actually out in Boston at the time uh, visiting my son when I got word and, and my phone started ringing off the hook and I was getting more texts than I knew what to do with. Uh, and I said to my wife, we better enjoy this weekend because I might not have another one off in a long time. Uh, this is, this is just great though. And uh, what I like about it, is it, it sounds like it's a very reasonable bill in terms of how it's going to work. It has 
uh, good personal limits for both uh, in-state and out-of-state in terms of what you can purchase at a time. Um, and most importantly, uh, Jim, it's something that you and I talked about previously, is it's got a wonderful social uh, equity component to it that uh, that's, will hopefully get very much involved people who come from those neighborhoods that were disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. Uh, we just could not that's be good. more excited about the bill here. Uh, the, the, really, the only thing that people are wondering is how the heck do I get one of these licenses? And unfortunately, the news I have to give to everyone is that basically for the first year, you're not going to get one. Um, they're going to allow the medical people to run the show uh, with their current cultivation centers, and every uh, current medical dispensary license holder can apply to make their medical dispensary a medical-slash-adult-use dispensary, and they can also uh, get up to one additional uh, license for a separate standalone adult use dispensary. So, you know, whether that'll be enough, I don't know. And in fact, that's the first thing I wanted to ask you, Jim, because one of the big issues here is this question of, you know, can the medical people currently keep up with the demand that's anticipated? And I know Colorado kind of did it a little bit differently, but what, what, what happened with the demand in Colorado and, and the ability to service it when adult use kicked in? Yeah, well, for the most part, the people who had medical marijuana dispensaries saw their sales increase between 50 and 100 percent. So oh the cultivation people really had to step up their game and uh, get, get uh, product to market uh, so it could be sold. Um, when does the uh, adult use program open up in, in Illinois? When will the first legal adult use cannabis be sold? January 1st, just a few months off, we're heading in that direction. So what they're doing is the, uh, the current medical people, uh, within the first 30 days now that the program has uh, been announced, they can go ahead and they can start submitting their applications to expand their current facility into a double use and for the uh, uh, additional license. And uh, from what I know from talking to uh, some of those license holders, they've already been at this for a while in anticipation of this happening. And uh, it, it's going to be quite a thing. Uh, Illinois' medical program has been, I don't want to say a total failure, but not the financial bonanza uh, that any of the license holders imagined it would be, given the severe restrictions in Illinois on becoming a medical patient uh, and the, the, the devastatingly low number of patients, uh, even right now, that are, that are actually uh, available and, and have the ability to go buy the medical cannabis. And now they're going to go from many of these people barely holding on to what we hope will be, you know, a turnaround in tremendous financial success. Uh, Illinois will, uh, as soon as this bill passes, Illinois becomes the second most populous state after California with an adult use program. And Illinois' population is double that of Colorado's. And we've seen oh, yeah. the numbers that Colorado has brought in. So I got to tell you, this state desperately needs. Uh, that kind of revenue. And, and uh, Pritzker has made it a key component of his budget, anticipated revenue from this new adult use market. Absolutely. Yes, we have, Bridge West has several uh, Illinois clients and they have really struggled. Uh, they had far more production capacity than they had patients on the roll. So that was a huge yep. drag on the um, Illinois medical marijuana model. So hopefully that will be fixed with this move to adult use 
Yeah, the suggestion I would have is to see if they'll allow the cultivators to start a harvest, you know, 60 to 90 days before January 1st so that they will yeah. have enough product on hand come January 1st of 2020. Um, well, I think big... that's going to be the biggest issue for, I'm sorry, you go ahead. No, you go. Yeah, what's going to be interesting here is, and in fact, um, somebody asked me this question the other day. Well, you know, gee, as an adult juice, why the heck should I, you know, why do I need my medical marijuana card anymore? I said, well, starting with the assumption that you really did need it in the first place, uh-huh, or uh, however you want to address that situation. But you, you can speak to this uh, very well, and I've seen it firsthand myself. If you're going into a Colorado dispensary to make a purchase, uh, if you're a, a, a patient in the program in Colorado, the price is significantly less. Isn't that correct? Yes. Um, so slightly better pricing, but a very significant difference in the taxes that you pay. Medical cannabis in Colorado was subject to our regular over-the-counter sales tax you would pay for any other item like a bottle of liquor, six to seven to eight percent, depending on how much the local tax is on top of the state tax. Um, so that's the only tax on medical marijuana. On adult use, there's a 15% excise tax when the pounds are transferred from the cultivation to the retail. So if you're retail only, there's a 15% excise tax uh, because we have um, slightly overproduction here in Colorado and falling prices, that excise tax has been pushed back onto the producer. So if a producer has his cost down to, you know, three or four hundred dollars a pound, uh, he's got to add another hundred and fifty dollars onto each pound for the excise tax. So if you're producing wow. for four hundred and fifty dollars, your true cost when you pay the excise tax is six hundred dollars for that pound. And that's true even if you transfer it internally from your uh, grow to your dispensary on an integrated model. So yeah, my clients in Denver who are selling ounces for $75 because of the competitive nature are also complaining that they basically feel like there's a 40% tax on, on the uh, adult use cannabis. You've got a 15% excise tax and instead of a 22% sales tax, the sales tax on adult use is 22 percent. So 22 plus 15 gets you to 37 percent. And that's what my clients saying. you know, we're eating this 40 percent tax. You know, I was at a dispensary today uh, giving a tour to an out-of-state client. And all the postings on the board were, you know, um, $25 for an eighth includes sales tax. So the... Hmm. The retailers wow. and the cultivators really feel that they have to eat that sales tax to stay competitive in our market of falling prices. The other big wrinkle on um, uh, as medical goes to adult use is, you know, what is the minimum age to purchase? So in Colorado, right. you have to be 21 to uh, purchase cannabis, but you can get a medical card and buy cannabis at 18 when you uh, have a medical right. card. So that's a big well, Illinois is 21 and 21, but I see yeah. where that could be an issue, yeah. Yeah, huh. yeah over in Boulder, where the university is, um, a lot of oh, the students exactly. have their um, medical card because that's the only way they can buy cannabis from age 18 to 21, legally, that is. I would. Right. That works out just fine. I, I hate to say it, but it's a far cry from uh, 
uh, the way we used to get cannabis uh, when we were back in college in the early 1980s, uh, kind of like, uh, you know, night and day situation. You know, instead of, instead of worrying, yeah. can I even find somebody who will sell it to me? And I hope it's not dirt from outside, right? College kids are going in and they're buying the best stuff around. Yeah, my out-of-state client was very impressed and amazed at the variety of strains and all the different products that she could buy. Uh, you know, I joked with her. I said, it's kind of like going to Disneyland, isn't it? Oh, the first time I walked into a Colorado dispensary in 2014 at some point, I did exactly what I said. I said, it's like I died and gone to Disneyland. Look at this. This is just unbelievable. Who would ever imagine that you could walk into a store just as an adult, just show them an ID and then you go. And they're not just selling it, but you can see it and it's there and it's, you know, try this, try that. It's, it's really something. And I think it's going to be a big, big hit in Illinois. Uh, we're very, very excited about it, both from the financial perspective, uh, which also includes, and I know you guys have a lot of this uh, cannabis tourism. And, uh, you know, I, I have to keep telling everybody uh, that although it's, it's a very tempting idea, uh, you're probably not. In fact, you're not going to be able to go to that medic, uh, to that adult use dispensary and and pick up a pre-roll of Cubby Kush and take it out to the uh, the bleachers in Wrigley Field. You might have a little bit of a problem if you do that. Yeah. And, and yeah, we, this we don't have any thing. public consumption, um, and I don't. We're kind of running out of our allotted time slot here, but you know, we have a very pro cannabis governor right now uh jared paulus and somebody was explaining to me all the bills that he is signing into law this month that'll take effect july 1st so we're going to have publicly traded companies can buy colorado cannabis companies uh looks like we're going to get on-site consumption and then there was several other just sort of technical correction bills but those were the big ones and i i said to this politician who was telling me about this i said were there any marijuana bills that came to the legislature this session which ended in May, uh, that the governor didn't sign, that, that didn't make it. And he thought for a minute, he goes, you know, no, actually, all the cannabis bills uh, that came through the legislature looks like they're going to be signed and passed into law. So, um, oh, another big one is University of Colorado Pueblo is going to open a true research and development center that's going to be funded by the state government. So Colorado is continuing to emerge as a leader in uh, the business side of cannabis and also the uh, scientific study of cannabis. And uh, very well, glad to see, to see Colorado doing that. No, that's great stuff. And, and I'm going to want to follow up with you perhaps in a future episode and talk more about this on-site consumption and uh, you know public consumption because I'll tell you, nothing has even happened here, here yet other than the announcement. I've already had three clients call me. They want to open up a smoking lounge. Well, you can't do that right. under the Illinois law just yet, but you know, people are people are looking that far down the road and see that coming, and you know I, right. that, that could change well, uh, the way we go out and recreate. Yeah, whenever we talk about on-site consumption, well, of course, public safety driving's an issue, but not really not with yeah, Uber really. and Lyft. There's no reason right. to drive if you're impaired on any substance. But um, people point out to me that. I believe I have the number correct that 40% of alcohol sales are on-site consumption in bars and restaurants and sporting events. So it's a huge yep. uh, new potential business opportunity oh, sure. to have this on-site consumption. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's you know, so, it'll be great. It'll be, you know, to be able to go and do it anywhere, you know, that you could otherwise, you know, congregate and, 
and recreate and relax. And uh, yeah, listen, I, I, I'm hoping that it's going to happen soon enough for me to be able to go out and really enjoy it. Larry, ask me about the, the next show I'm going to go to at Red Rocks. Well, I, you know, I was just about to do that, Jim, because I have yeah. a suspicion that I know where you're going. So please tell us. Well, for many years, the last weekend of June, we get we get three widespread panic shows at Red Rocks, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the Sunday is kind of a get out of town. It starts at 5 or 6 p.m. This year it's 6 p.m. So they do their usual three-hour show, and you're out of there by 9.30, 10 o'clock. So it's not the get home after midnight uh, that most – Red Rock shows are. I mean, Phil played till like almost 11:30 last week, p.m. Right. Uh, so, so Panic will be done oh, yeah. about 9:30 or 10. And I really enjoyed the the Sunday. They call it the matinee because sure. most of the show is in broad daylight, <laughs> and uh, yeah. we have some pictures I think that'll get posted up with the uh, the show I did last week from Red Rocks, uh, showing how pretty and how wonderful it is to see a band in broad daylight at Red Rocks in the late afternoon, early evening. Well, it, it's, uh, you know, my, my time spent out at Red Rocks was magical and beautiful and a lifetime's worth of memories, um, you know, with the dead. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's the type of venue that really turns any show into a special show just because of, of where you are and the surroundings. But I, I will tell you this. I, you know, I know that we primarily like to talk about the dead and, and fish, and that's all good and dandy. But widespread panic, and, and there's going to be a lot of people who will sit up and say, not me, and I know that's true. But widespread panic, at least for, I would say, people of my generation, is probably one of the better kept secrets of the music world. And, you know, that not as many of my friends, it seems, are, you know, are, are, are as excited or as on board to go see widespread as they would be some of these other bands. Um, but I happen to see uh, widespread panic uh, for the first time uh, probably about five years ago down at Jazz Fest in New Orleans and was blown away. Um, and yes. said, why haven't I been going to see these guys? And now, uh, it, it's anytime they come to the Chicago area, uh, I'm definitely on board for as many shows as I can get to. And, you know, they, they've taken the, the Grateful Dead fish model and, you know, carved out their own niche with it, uh, right, with long, crazy jams and good stuff that, you know, you can tell me what you think, but... For me, the highlight of a great widespread show are the eclectic covers that they come up with. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah including the J.J. Uh, Kale song, Traveling Light. Yes. Which is one of their, yes. their standards, but it actually is a J.J. Kale song. It's not an original widespread panic song. Yeah, much like the Grateful Dead and Fish, uh, it's very difficult to, to get widespread panic unless you actually go and see them um, as yeah. a... Paige McConnell of Fish recently said, you, ha you have to come see us if you want to understand what we do. He said, I can still walk down the street and nobody knows who I am. You know, you have to be in the same room as us to get what we do. It's very true of widespread panic. You just don't get that band until you see them. And I've been fortunate enough. Uh, I've done a little newspaper work over the years, and I've got to interview John Bell and David Schools. And, you know, David Schools oh, is yeah. certainly one of the great – you know, bass players in rock and roll today. Uh, he's another oh, one that can just definitely. fill up Red Rocks with that big six-string modulus. Yep, yep, David. Well, David Schools himself can almost fill up Red Rocks, but that's a whole other story. Right, he's a big he's, man. He, he, he's a big man. He's a big man. 
but he, yep, he stands and, uh, up there and, and boy he just belts it out and, and i have to tell you you know jimmy herring is one of my all-time favorite guitar players and yeah i just he's a great one i can't get enough he doesn't of that he never sings jimmy herring never sings no, i don't know if he does that much of a voice but and then no, um, in, in, in yeah. two in, just in 2002 uh, the Grateful Dead, you know, post-Jerry, had their first official quote-unquote Terrapin family reunion at uh, Alpine Valley up in uh, Wisconsin. And, you know, they had these two all-day events with all, all sorts of other bands. And then both nights, uh, you know, this new revitalized, whatever they were calling themselves at the time, the, the Dead reunion, you know, they got up there on the stage and uh, uh, and came out and just pranked um and I was going to tell you what song they played, and now I can't even remember. But it, it was, oh, I know what I was going to say. Yeah, I know. It was one of those things. But, um, uh, yeah, this, this live music and everything is, is, is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing widespread panic here at the end of this month. And then, uh, of course, July uh, 5th and oh. 6th will be the two uh, Folsom shows at CU Boulder to finish Dead & Company summer tour. Uh, I've heard a little bit of it. They're playing pretty good. John Mayer is really playing some blues. He's uh, they're they're uh, breaking out some old Pigpen songs uh, like "Hard to Handle." I'm trying to think of some yeah. of the other ones they've been doing recently in the last in this current uh, tour. But uh, yeah, John Mayer is oh, really stepping out. And... I'll be seeing them one week from tonight at Wrigley Field. Yep, yep. So I'm looking forward to, here's what, here's... to it. Here's what I was going to tell you before. We went to that show up in Wisconsin. Jimmy Herring was the lead guitar player for them. And I thought right. that at the end of the two nights that I saw them, that he stole the show from all of them. You know, they had yes. him up on stage with all these other guys and Bobby, and it was great to see them all. And I, I couldn't take my eyes off of Jimmy Herring all night. Just standing there. It, other than the fact that he didn't sing, it was just like Jerry. Right. Right. Well, and just to bring some of the other people who aren't as familiar with Widespread Panic, the reason Jimmy Herring is in the band is they're one of their founding members and lead guitarist, Michael Hauser, uh, died at a very young age of cancer. He died in 2002. I don't even know if he was 50 years old yet. And so it left a huge void. It could have uh, brought that band to its knees and had them fold up their tent. But uh, they per persevered on. And uh, after a few different uh, tries with lead guitar players, uh, Jimmy Herring has been part of the band now for probably a good 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I say, it just it just adds a whole other dimension to them. And, uh, you know, I, I'm already envious of you because as much as I'd love to see him, I can't get out to Colorado that weekend. But keep the musical theme in Red Rocks going. I will be at Red Rocks at the end of July to see Tedeschi Trucks. Excellent. Excellent. I'll look forward to seeing that with you. Yes. Yes, yes. So, well, this is All great, right. man. I, I but, love this stuff and hope you yeah. have a great time at those shows and lots of good stuff well, going on. I'm, I'm off to New Orleans on Monday for the big uh, MJ Biz Conference down there, which they're doing. The, one thing that's really interesting this year, they're doing a simultaneous, almost the same size event uh, in the same convention center for hemp. So hemp and CBD oh, nice. sweeping the country. Yeah. It's a craze. You know, you see it yeah. everywhere. I just came back from Missouri, which we'll talk about on the oh, yeah. next show. But driving around Missouri, we saw these really large CBD stores. Yep. 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 They got it going on down there, too. 
It's a whole new world, buddy. Yep. All right. Well, I think we're at the end of our time slot, so we'll go ahead and sign off for the the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Very good. Thank you, Jim. Larry Michigan here with my good friend Jim Marty, and we will look forward to talking to you guys again next week. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.